Welcome to The Reserve, a news pod, a news and thoughts podcast from the Centralverse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard, and today is episode number 33. Now, real quick here up at the top, just want to say uh, Feliz Cinco de Mayo to all my, uh, all my friends out there in America and the state of Puebla, Mexico. Uh, we we joke. A lot of people uh, joke that it's a good it's a good holiday. Uh, I am going to do a, a quick rant on this. Uh, in America, it is. There's never a bad day to eat chips and guac. So I'm fully supportive of this. Uh, but it was really fun. I just got back from a little family vacation to visit my in-laws in in, in Mexico, who live in Mexico City, and we took a little road trip out to the the state of Puebla. Uh, which is uh, a state next to not too far from Mexico City. Um, it's the kind of famous for two things. It's famous for uh, mole. Anyone tried that like chocolatey, earthy uh, uh, dish? Uh, and then also, this is actually where the big battle happened on the fifth of May. And so it was kind of fun to be there as they were beginning to prep for their for their celebrations. Um, it is still a little bit weird that we that we celebrate it here and. What it made me think of is like I came from Utah and it made me think that it would be as if the whole country of Mexico celebrated the 24th of July, which is Utah's pioneer day, <laughs> as if the whole country celebrated. So uh, anyways, Feliz Cinco de Mayo, everybody, uh, on, to the, on to the show. Uh, if you had told me last spring that uh, in a year's time, I'd still be doing episodes about an unfilled vice chair for supervision position, I would have been, in a word, surprised. Uh, but here we are. Uh, Biden waited forever to nominate someone. And then Sarah Bloom Raskin, the first person he nominated, is now out. But Michael Barr, dean at the public policy school at the University of Michigan, is in, or at least he's been nominated. Uh, and so that's where we're at. That's what we wanted to talk about today. So um, I am just overly thrilled to have Kate Davidson, author of uh, Politico's Daily Morning Money, which is a critical reading for, uh, for all of our listeners. And if by chance you're one of the six or seven that aren't already reading, there will be signups in the show notes. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. And, uh, and Stephen, uh, Stephen Kelly is back as well. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Caleb. Hey, Kate. So we wanted to start just at the top. Uh, Kate, just if you could just open up a little bit, uh, open the doors, uh, kind of lift back the curtain on the uh, the machine that is morning money. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of, uh, you know, you taking over that and uh, what the a little bit of what the process is like. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. And it's it's funny, I get a lot of questions about this and people are <laughs> usually very concerned about my sleeping habits um, <laughs> because it is a little bit of a grind. But uh, but yeah, so I've, it's been about uh, just a little over six months since I took over for um, the incredible Ben White who got this yep. thing off the ground, really built it into something indispensable, I think. Um, and, I, and I'm really thrilled to hear and flattered to hear you say that that's still the case. Obviously that's the goal, but he, you know, he, he really built it into something that was very widely read and essential reading for right policy people in the policy space um in, in financial space and um you know try to kind of find that how, how those issues intersect with politics too in washington uh so it can get fairly technical sometimes it's yeah. pretty high level kind of depends on the news of the day and what's happening but um but i've had a lot of i've had a lot of fun um it's a yeah, it's a Monday through Friday newsletter, which means I have a Sunday through Thursday schedule. So yeah, kind of okay. 
you know, gotten adjusted to that. I do most of it. People always want to know what time do you get up in the morning? I really do most of the work the night before um, and, and, or the afternoon before, ideally try not to send it to my editor too late, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's a really nice shift from covering. I spent years covering financial regulation as a regular, you know, daily beat reporter. And then I spent seven years. I was, I was doing that at, at American banker and Politico um, in the years, you know, just after the financial crisis, really, I covered, you know, Dodd-Frank as it was being written and then covered the implementation of that and, you know, the, the new consumer bureau, what is it going to look like? How are they going to build it? I covered the very early days. And then I went to the Wall Street Journal and I covered economic policy. So I covered the Fed for a while and I covered um, the treasury and fiscal policy, debt, um, as, you know, during the Trump years when the, the debt was going up and then, of course, the pandemic. So um, fast forward to now, I get to kind of step back and cover all of those things, which is really yeah. fun. And I can kind of wade into all these issues that I've been writing about at one point or another um, over the past, yikes, um, you know, 12, 13 years yeah. now. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. And, uh, and it's, and it is fun to see. I, I really appreciate also morning money. It, you, you know what you're going to get and you know, you're going to get the, you're going to get, you're sometimes actually getting, even getting scoops. Uh, but you're also getting the the news of what's both coming and then what happened the day before and, and pretty concise, but you can also, your voices come through, which I, which I love. You obviously write it almost, almost all the time, but occasionally Victoria or, or one of the other colleagues will, will give me a break in. every once in a while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even when you shifted for away, uh, away from, from, uh, from Ben before you can feel your guys' voices, which I, which I think everybody appreciates as well. Uh, Cause I know it is a, a there's a, a team that's going into it. So that's fun. Um, is there ever, are there ever days where you're like, I don't know what I'm going to put in or is it, is it always, I have to just cut, cut, cut. Oh yeah. Well, um, that's a great question. It's, there are definitely some days that, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily know what I'm going to write at the top. So yeah, you kind of described like the, the sort of breakdown or the format of it is I've tried to make it a little more, a little longer at the top, a little, yeah. a, a little broader and kind of a little more analytical, or as you said, like obviously scoops are kind of any journalist bread and butter. And we yeah. definitely aim to have some of those. So when yeah. you have that, it's easy, right. Or when you have a big GDP report, um, you know, shocking number, that's easy. When you have a Fed meeting, it's easy. Then there are other days like, huh, you know, it's a little slow. Congress is in recess. Um, and then it's just a matter of figuring out what is everyone talking about today? Um, you know, what are, what are we, um, what have we kind of not taken a look at in a while? Um, but then sometimes you do that and you start making phone calls like, oh yeah, we will need to have some SEC nominees pretty soon. I wonder what's going on. And then I was able to scoop up three names and yeah. like, hey, that's awesome. That's a scoop, you know? So that's kind of the way that happens sometimes. But as far as the bottom half of the newsletter, like which is trying to pull together new interesting reports or letters that people are sending to, to the agencies or, you know, all other news that my, you know, our competitors or colleagues, um, yeah. friendly competitors are writing, yep. <laughs> um, you know, we deliver, like we wanna, we wanna, deliver our stories, but also round up the smartest stories that other people are writing. Um, that's a lot of time cutting, cutting, cutting. I mean, there's a, yeah. so much out there. There's so, you know, there's, there's, um, there's Bloomberg, there's Axios, there's the Wall Street Journal, there's Reuters, there's the FT, and there's, there's the Post and the Times. And um, there's, you know, this, this sector, there's no shortage of, um, of coverage, especially with sanctions now. And, um, and all the, there's, there's the nomination stuff, of course. Um, and then just generally what's happening in markets. So yeah, that, that, uh, there's no shortage of news to include every day. 
And what, what's the daily sort of feedback process you get? I mean, as, as Caleb said, and, and you kind of alluded to, it's very widely read. It's one of like maybe two or three things in this realm where I don't even ask people if they subscribe. I just say, hey, have you seen Morning Money yet? Like, did you see this or that? Um, and, and But I assume most of that, like all that people reading it every day don't email you. But you, I assume when you when you upset somebody in D.C., like, I mean, what's the kind of what's the feedback process like on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, I I don't get too many, very few angry emails, thankfully. Uh, so if people are mad at me, at least they're keeping it in. They're, they're not <laughs> reaching out. Um, but uh, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I generally want to know. But uh, but I'm not I'm thankfully I'm not getting a ton of that. Uh, and I do. You know, it's just it, it's just occasional emails. I mean, kind of how you'd expect. Sometimes, sometimes it's texts. If it's people I know well, sometimes, you know, Twitter DMs. Um, it's always my best, my, uh, my favorite feedback really is like from other journalists when they say, hey, like this was really awesome today. Or especially, it's just nice to hear from competitors um, who respect you and, um, and think that, that you're doing good work. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty gratifying. Um, but yeah. It's not, sure. it's not, it's not too, like I said, yeah, not too angry usually. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. Uh, before we get into the, into any of the, the bar stuff, uh, we did want to ask you since you're just coming back uh, from the, the Milken Institute conference out in, in, in California, um, besides missing the, missing, maybe missing the, the, the spring out there, which is at least got to be better than it is here in Connecticut. Um, uh, you know, what were the, what were some of the, the, the vibes or, you know, was there much fed stuff in, coming up in conversations? Uh, talk to us about that, about that experience. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. I, this is my first time going and I realized when I was there, oh, I scheduled way too many meetings. <laughs> I didn't really get to listen to a lot of panels, which is, you know, if I go again, I'll have to rebalance that a little bit um, because there's so much interesting stuff. And so I know there was like an inflation panel that I missed, but I think it, it was clearly useful to be sitting down with um, folks in the space and just having one-on-one -on -one conversations. And in all of those, I mean, I, I feel like I was the one if it came up to bring up like how about the fed you know how about rates and sure. uh, i moderated a panel on infrastructure and um that's different from the fed but it was it was uh talking about kind of public private partnerships and how to get this funding that congress has approved how to sort of stretch it and finally near the end i was like hey guys what about the prospect of a recession and it was all it was sort of i think i killed the mood everyone was like <laughs> oh well yeah i guess i mean but they were i guess it just felt like everyone was pretty optimistic. People were not worried about this. It wasn't consuming conversations. I guess how I interpreted that is like, okay, yes, we're all aware that the Fed is raising rates and it was literally happening in the middle of the conference. Um, but I don't know that it's pe that people are kind of, uh, they, you know, they, those expectations are baked in. I guess when I did bring up kind of those concerns, they're honestly more worried about supply chains, which of course feeds into what the Fed is, sure. is doing and thinking about in inflation. But I think that they um, are, are hoping that that gets sorted out. I think they're they're more worried about those kinds of challenges um, than than worried about like oh the Fed's going to go too far it, at least in converse you know casual conversation. But but I think the mood like the the general mood though is pretty optimistic. Um, and maybe because this was the for they they did have a, a 
different, an abbreviated sort of conference in the fall. Usually they do it in the springtime. Um, so they were in person, but it was, I'm told it was, it was smaller and there was like a very strict masking requirement, sure. which personally for me is no big deal, but it is kind of nice to see people's faces. I think everyone was Absolutely. pretty, seemed pretty happy to be there. Um, and there was, I should add, because I think it's, you know, important, like there were many acknowledgements of, you know, the war in Ukraine and what's yeah. happening and kind of the, you know, we're all here and having these lofty conversations and there's this terrible thing happening around the world and how do we need to, um, you know, what can, what can we be, be doing to, to think about that? You know, Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo was there too, and he, we had this in Morning Money, he had met recently with some financial executives to talk to them about how they can help rebuild. So, so there are conversations about that too. So anyway, that's just kind of a mix of, uh, but I would say on balance, it was optimistic, the mood. Yeah. yeah, it is amazing this time around. And this has been the story since the pandemic in being so much in the Fed world. It's interesting to hear uh, how different the conversation is when talking about the Fed when the the root of the problem or the the crisis is so obviously not didn't start somewhere related to the fed and i've been interested because i thought that might shift and maybe it has a little bit with inflation but even with the discussions of inflation you don't i i i mean you don't even though we have serious in a serious inflation issue it seems like the vitriol and the and the and the fear about it and the hatred towards the in conversations about the Fed doesn't seem to quite be there, given that you have just these 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 uh, very reasonable and widely accepted explanations for for these policy issues being coming from not only outside of the Fed but outside of the fan, financial system. And it's it, it just it's, it's been interesting that even now, even with inflation, the the conversations are about kind of the root issues, which I guess if you're the Fed is you that's good. You want them talking about, about the right. Root. I mean, conventional wisdom, at least kind of from a political perspective or PR perspective, is you know the Fed always gets blamed when the economy when there's yeah. a problem with the economy. But um, I guess maybe it reflects a little bit. Clearly, inflation people are not happy about it. It's yeah. causing problems for regular households. But maybe some of this is just that we're not quite like the underlying economy is still pretty strong, right? There's still pretty healthy demand. When things start to slow down, I wonder if that yeah, that'll be, be the tipping point. I mean, I think that's probably when they'll start taking a lot more a lot more incoming, depending on depending on how they manage it, right? And that's the big open question. Yep. How 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 soft does how how what does softish mean? Softish. Yep. <laughs> that's the new word. <laughs> that's the new word. That's the new word. So 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 let's uh, so let's then uh, jump into uh, non-monetary policy Fed world. And and maybe bring us uh, you know very briefly up to speed on 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 Michael Barr. You know he's had a very interesting. You can just do high level, but he's had a very interesting year. Uh, I guess year and a half since since Biden was nominated. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously a prominent person. Um, if you follow the financial regulation space, he was in the Obama Treasury, very involved in kind of those. Um, post-financial crisis years um, in, in some of the big treasury programs to help the economy um, and address kind of issues in the banking sector. So he's very well known. 
I think it's it's kind of funny because his name, he, you know, he was on the Biden transition team and his name was um, quickly floated as a contender for the OCC job to be to be the next comptroller. And um, I think if you were around back then, you'd know that, um, you know, banks were not really fans of his. <laughs> it's not really controversial. I mean, he's viewed as a, like a pretty um, committed, like Democrat, uh, you know, even dare I say progressive and fast forward to, um, 2021 and it, it was like, well, hold on, Michael, who, you know, really, is this what we're going to do? There's, there's some real kind of, kind of pretty quick, um, blowback. And I don't know if that's because there's been this shift where I think there's a lot of, um, there's kind of a feeling that some of the old guard, if you will, you know, the Summers and Geithner, yeah. um, Rubin kind of worldview is, is um, you know, no longer in vogue, if you will. Yeah. So he's kind of, maybe, he, maybe that was, a, he was kind of associated with that because he was around in that time. And, um, and anyway, yeah, he, he, as we know, ultimately was, was not nominated. And I think that there were people, I know that there are people who were, um, uh, you know, advocacy groups, some advocacy groups, they were, they were frustrated with that. I mean, I think they thought that he would do a good job and um, that he really was, you know, I had one person say to me, gosh, if, if Michael Barr is not progressive enough, I mean, what, what is going on? Like they just, I think having been around again, uh, whatever it was, you know, 10, 12 years ago now, they just found that um, kind of amazing. But I think it does speak to how things things shift and clearly the world has shifted and the party has shifted. And so, uh, so that became problematic for him. But fast forward, as you said, we had waited a long time to get a, um, a nominee for vice chair for supervision. They put forward Sarah Bloom Raskin, who I think a lot of people felt really good about. Um, yeah. She'd been confirmed before she was at, to the Fed and then as deputy treasury secretary, um, she had said a lot about climate was, was, and I think, which is why she was really embraced, um, by progressives because she had been kind of one of the most outspoken, I think, former high kind of high level fed, fed people and government people to talk about the need to incorporate climate stuff into financial regulation. Um, but I really think, I, I mean, we can re, we can rehash this. We could spend a whole episode on this about <laughs> no. what happened there. I think no. it was it was surprising, but maybe not. I don't know that that it it didn't work out. I think that the White House really thought they had their ducks in a row, and um, you know, and in the end, for various reasons, they didn't, and they had to pull the nomination. So, what do you do when you've now uh, you know wasted all this time? If we can say yeah. wasted, I think people yeah. felt like it was kind of a waste. Like, what the heck is going on? Uh, back to square one. You don't really have to go back to square one. You look at the list of people who are in the mix for other jobs. So I think right. clearly, you know, even though it didn't work out the first time around, you're looking at the calendar, you're thinking, okay, so things might look a lot different after November. Um, yep. You know, I don't think that there's any certainty that like the Senate flips, you know, maybe it, it might, but you, you never know. So yeah. they're starting to think, you know, we really need to, we want to get going on the regulatory agenda. Um, they spent the first year focused on legislative uh, their legislative priorities. This year was supposed to be kind of the big regulatory, um, I guess, kind of kicking that process into high gear and you don't have someone in this job. Right. Okay. Michael Barr is perfectly fine. Great even. I mean, in yeah, some people's, yeah. in some people's views. So that's how right. he came back around. I think people, uh, you know, he has a lot of fans. I've heard Lil Brainerd, you know, as a fan, I mean, is she, she's a former treasury person. Yeah. Powell is a former treasury person, different treasury, you know, different, different times, but they kind of have those things in common. He's very well known. 
the banks like, right, he wouldn't be the person they'd pick, but they know him. Um, and yeah. I think feel like, okay, they'd rather have someone that they know. And that's generally how they felt about Raskin too. Like they respected her. They, they knew her, they were comfortable dealing with her. And I think they generally feel that way about Michael Barr, but we'll see confirmation. Yeah. The confirmation process can bring up weird stuff, but it, as we just saw. <laughs> it, it's also weird. I mean, the, and Caleb, I know you've you've opined quite a bit about the importance of moving quickly on on financial nominations uh, to the Fed and elsewhere. But you know, it's funny, Kate. You talk about how a year ago Michael Barr wasn't progressive enough, and now he's probably going to be the most progressive pick that Biden's gotten through in, in a meaningful capacity. I mean, we because since he kind of started stalling on nominations, we've seen inflation. We've seen a renewed importance of oil and gas to the to the national and global economy. Right. So you know we we lose Omarova, we lose Sarah Bloom Raskin. Um, you know, part of it's probably Biden moving slow, and it's not all Biden, but you know, that's it, it appears like that's part of it. Yeah, and you know, it's I'm reminded of some other conversations at this conference we were just talking about. You know, in, in a broader sense, when we think about legislation too, like you know, they're aiming for these kind of big, big social spending packages, and it might not get done, but they got this massive infrastructure bill done, and it's actually going to do a lot of stuff, and it's actually going to be like the biggest climate, um, you know, push to address like climate resiliency, um, but in the context of what they wanted to do, it feels like not very much, and yeah. you know, people were talking about that idea that they need to promote that more, but I think it kind of, you see what I mean, like it's kind of a similar, a similar just shift in perspective, right, right. like I think Michael Barr, as you said, will will be very progressive, um, even if it wasn't the person that initially the most progressive kind of element um, or or faction of, of this space that we yeah. that we watch and, and that we follow um, would have wanted. Yeah. So what uh, to the degree that that uh, that we know this, you know, where where are we at? We know we have a. a, a goal of maybe to this summer uh kind of the, the latest and there are all sorts of things that have to line up because you got to do nomination or you got to do hearings and then you've got to do all the different votes you know what uh where are we at what do we know about the timing right now yeah so i've heard that they're trying to nail down a date right now um and i think it will probably be in the middle of the month like not next hearing. week maybe yeah, for okay. a hearing, sorry, yep. So maybe okay. not next week, but maybe maybe the week after. I think they definitely wanna do it before Memorial Day um, because you have the hearing and then you have to schedule time then in June to have a committee vote and then a floor vote. And right, you probably wanna try and get it done before July, for before the 4th of July, because they take off for a week around that holiday. And then there's just a few more weeks before the August recess. And when you're in an election year, you know, after the August recess, it's really difficult. I mean, if you had to, like they, they'd figure it out, but um, this is just the way, you know, this is kind of just how the congressional process uh, process usually unfolds in an election year is like things take time. And especially if, um, you know, the Republicans are going to make any any mischief like it, it could take time to file cloture you have to wait a certain number of days there's just whole there are procedural hurdles that can sometimes slow things down and if they have other nominees to get through or a big ukraine supplemental aid bill for example to get like get onto the senate floor it really has to do with 
Chuck Schumer finding the time to get this done. And that just gets more complicated the closer you get to um, November when people start leaving because they're campaigning. And so, yeah, I, I think that they're trying to move fairly quickly at this point. Yeah. Are the rumblings to the degree that 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 you've heard are the are the rumblings that, you know, I know I, I saw that Senator Warren, you know, she she likes them. It seems like they're getting most of their ducks in, in a line. I can't remember if Manchin has said, I think Manchin said he would he would chat with him or something. He sounded warm, but he didn't say either way. Well, yeah, give us a sense of, of to the degree that we know uh, how his reception is uh, being had within the within the Senate. Yeah. Yeah, no, I must, I must admit that between the World Bank and the Milken Conference yeah, and okay. the Fed meeting, I have <laughs> yeah, some work to do. Okay. I have some reporting work to do here, <laughs> which okay. I just started doing this morning because I knew I was coming on to, uh, you know, to talk to you. So I put yeah. out some, I put out some feelers. I will keep you updated. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they, they're taking him around, um, to, to meet with folks. And the, the, as one person said to me though, again, during, his time in the Obama administration, he's testified a number of times. Yeah. He's very comfortable with this process. He okay. knows a lot of these people. So I think that, um, right, I don't know how how different lawmakers, I don't quite have a sense of, like, for example, if he'll get any Republican support and who those people will be. I'm, I just haven't done enough reporting on it yet. Ah, okay. But I'm sure that, um, I guess what I said, like, I'm sure he's pretty, com pretty comfortable and just kind of going through that process right now of talking to people. Yeah. And we'll be Do we know if if Powell knows Michael Barr really? I don't I don't actually know much about their relationship. Um, but um I'm sure he probably does. Like I said, I know I think that, that Lil Brainerd knows him um mm -hmm. because they've you know they've interacted and they were at tre you know, they were at Treasury together. Um I think and well maybe we can edit that part. <laughs> I That's okay. that. and, and I'm like, because she went to the Fed. I'm sure they were there together. Anyway, um, yeah, I know that Leo, we can just start. Okay. Over. I know Leo Brainerd knows, you know, I know Leo Brainerd knows him. Um, I think he just has been in this space for so long. He's been at the University of Michigan as dean, but he, um, you know, people that are involved in this stuff tend to get consulted and and they 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 give speeches, they participate in the conferences. It's kind of a whole, you know, they all know each other, but I don't know specifically about his um, relationship with Jay Powell. It's a good question, really good question. Especially because, like, with monetary policy, I mean, the board is so much an extension of the chair. Um, and not that, I mean, not that there's any questions on monetary policy right now. I mean, it's really, you know, the name on the front of the Fed jersey is going to matter more than the name on the back for a <laughs> while, you know. Um, yeah. But but it, it, that that's always an interesting, you know, interesting to see sort of where they land on support and 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 sort of dissenting in public or in speeches or whatever else. Yeah, well, and we know too, for example, like Jay Powell and Randy Quarles, I think knew each other really well, had a very good working relationship, a lot of mutual respect um, and sort of deference there. And I mean that in any, you know, any any inappropriate kind of deference. Yeah. I think that, that there's certain sort of, as Powell himself has said, there's kind of, um, you know, that, that role, that vice chair for supervision role has its own sort of authorities that are somewhat separate. The chair, of course, oversees everything, but mm -hmm. I have no reason to think that that would be different with Michael Barr, even though he's perhaps technically, you know, from a different party. And of course, Powell's not in a party anymore, but, you know, um, I think we tend to think of him as a Republican because he served in um, the Bush administration and was a Trump appointee before a Biden appointee. But I, yeah, I have no sense that, uh, that there'll be any kind of issue there. 
And when Biden was originally, I mean, I think one of his stalling tactics, not tactics, but I think one of the, the reasons that Biden stalled for so long was trying to instead of he knew he was going to have these like five seats, five positions at the board that he was going to be able to fill. And I think there was actually a, a potential for significant benefit of waiting until you could nominate as much of those as many as those fives at the same time and present it as a package both for messaging of what he views the Fed to be, but also as like a political package. Unfortunately, I think it, I mean, for him, unfortunately, I think it failed on the, on the Sarah Bloom Raskin aspect that didn't prove, the package didn't prove powerful enough to, to go all the way as a package and the Republicans with their hardball stuff that you mentioned were able to kind of siphon that off. But be, during that process, I, I'm just repeating basically what you said that he really did seem to lean into that uh, that idea of you know this vice chair position is going to have some responsibilities that are kind of independent from what I'm going to do I'm going to you know defer to them and this was when he was talking about Sarah Bloom Raskin uh, right. now it'll be so you um, I would imagine that 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 that's where that would go Right. Yeah. I keep forgetting where this is a podcast, even though I can see you on Zoom, I keep nodding, but yes, okay, yes. Yep. <laughs> I completely agree. Yes. I, for the people who are listening, I am nodding along with you. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think that's right. And I think, you know, I've had people say to me, they don't understand why the white house didn't, um, you know, once they got, once they agreed to, to nominate Powell, why they didn't sort of get some kind of assurances that Sarah Bloom Raskin could get through if that's who they wanted. Um, I don't know. I mean, as we all know, she wasn't nominated until several weeks later after Powell and Brainerd were put forward. So, you know, should they have waited? It was getting kind of late. It was November. I don't fully know or understand the, the decisions that went into, you know, announcing the two of them and then why it took a little bit longer than I think we all expected for them to announce the other three, but right. You know, the idea is you you if you can put them all together as one, you could get them through a little bit easier. And they kind of gel, they kind of came back together as one when Toomey sort of like stops yeah. them all. So it was, yeah. but it just never quite worked, I think is what you're getting at too. It just some, you know, it didn't quite work out that way, um, obviously. And yeah, so ultimately, I think they're all they're all going to make it. You know, Lisa Cook has run, yep. run into some again procedural snags. I, I'm I'm still a little bit puzzled why, but or why, but also just the fact that Republicans are um, making so much of her nomination. You're trying so hard yeah. to to slow that down. It, it's really kind of surprised me um, because they did, you know, to to be blunt, frank about it. I mean, they had a victory. Yeah. derailing Raskin um but they're still there's they're still kind of hung up on Lisa Cook even though it seems obvious that she'll be able to get through at some point um but so we'll get we'll get all of them and we'll get all of them in there eventually um I I want to know I don't want to front run you but you know how you know how their views um how these new members will affect the committee the discussion on the committee um but we're focused on FinRag today, so maybe I should set, maybe okay. I should set that aside. But I want to know That's okay. how devilish they'll be. I think those are really important questions when they all get on on there. They are, and like and, and like Stephen mentioned earlier, at the for at least the next couple of months, it's it's probably there's not going to be much much difference probably between between the group at least publicly. Though you can bet that they're going to want to get there and they're going to want to you know make a name for themselves at least 
I, yeah, how long does this team spirit of we need to get you know, unanimity in all the votes and we need to, you know, how long does that, does that, la you know, it certainly lasts maybe through July and the August or September meeting, but does it go into the fall, you know, as well? as economic data maybe turns or as inflation. Yeah, I think that's where it will get, right. I completely agree. That's where it'll get interesting where you start to see these shades of gray and like, right, how 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 soon do we back off of 50? Yeah. You know, what do we need to see to, to determine that? Um, kind of, right, where, where do we, it's it's that next phase. Clearly we, we're, you've seen from, from, the, from yesterday, the press conference, we are in a 50, 50 for now kind yeah. of zone. Um, that's nice, the, nice. the speed limit right now. And then yep. it, it's 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 what happens next. But we've got right, we've got a few months to figure that out. They yeah. they've got it. Sorry, we don't have to do anything. We just, <laughs> we just have to watch. <laughs> they've got a few months to we, uh, figure we, that out. We've got we've got we get plenty plenty to talk about. Now the the there was a, a, a incredibly blunt uh, conversation that Quarles did uh, this week uh, on uh, Rob Blackwell's podcast uh, that was just really interesting. And, uh, and maybe I'll even actually just include a, a link to it in the notes. Um, uh, you know, and one of the things that just kept coming up was Quarles just, you know, over and over again saying, you know, this position is new. You know, it's not, you know, I made some decisions about what it would be, but there are still a lot of unanswered questions about it um you know i guess kate just for you i mean what are things that, that you'll be looking for or in general you know as this maybe even slightly taking bar away from it the conversation although you definitely can take what if you think that he'll have any uh, specific opinions on it but kind of which direction is this young physician going and I, i'm just going to quick attach a little sure. uh, extension out of that question specifically uh, Quarles talked about sort of like how consumer, you know, like Mickey uh, Bowman's sort of consumer community group is separate. And, and that's something, as you mentioned, Kate, that, you know, Michael Barr sort of cut his teeth on the CFPB. You know, is he going to, I'm curious if he'll try to bring that more under the VCS role. Anyways. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the, I'm, I'm glad that you asked. I can't help thinking Oh, it's a perfect question for my colleague, Victoria Guida, because she covered sort of the Quarles era. And I was a little bit not, you know, focused entirely on that. But I, so, so this is maybe a, a high level answer and I hope that it's okay. Or I hope it's a good one, but, but I think generally, um, right. I mean, of course, of course you, of course, Quarles is the first person to officially fill the job. We did have Dan Tarullo, uh, who was, who was kind of effectively in that role. Yeah. Um, but as far as like, Right, the first, uh, second, it is only the second official vice chair. And clearly I think it's gonna be, uh, who, who, you know, if it, if it is Barr, um, but, but no, matter, no matter who, you know, the Biden administration I think chose, it, we'd be going from someone who I think clearly took more of a, um, you know, conservative, like small C conservative view yeah. of, of what a regulator should, should be and should do and was looking for ways to, um, you know, in their view, improve regulation, right? To, to tweak and adjust it and make it more workable. I think that the, there is going to be more of a um, uh, advocate, what well, kind of advocate is the right word, but you know, as the a view of, a, of the regulator as right, protecting consumers or um, ensuring, you know, safety and soundness um, and more focus on stability, make clear in, in a word, tougher. 
right? Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think there's any illusions that that um that they're they're not they're not necessarily going to be looking for way you know major ways to make rules easier, <laughs> which yeah. which will be a which will be an obvious shift, right? Mm. Um, so you know, I think what that could look like, um, you know, if we're talking about specific issues, right? As you mentioned, he he, yeah. he had this sort of strong consumer background. So I think that there's ongoing work looking at the Community Reinvestment Act. I mean, I think he's going to probably champion measures that will help low-income consumers and borrowers. I think that they're going to, um, you know, it it could mean. Uh, kind of taking a tougher approach to M&A, which is something that clearly has been a, a priority. We all know about yeah. what happened at the FDIC and the effort to kind of yeah. review those rules. I mean, I think he's, um, you know, I, I think, I think banks are, are prepared for, uh, you know, are prepared for that shift. Um, it will definitely be different from, from, from Randy Quarles, who I think a lot of people don't don't necessarily think. I mean, clearly, there's different views about this within, say, the Democratic Party um, universe. And for some progressives, really, really just think he was terrible. But I think there are others who are like, okay, you know, um, it, it wasn't. He, he's he still was fairly was fairly reasonable. Um, yeah. You know, they wouldn't have maybe rolled back everything he did. But um, but I think that that's kind of the view of uh, you know the view of Michael Barr is clearly there's going to be things are moving in a different direction. Yeah, I think I that's, that made any sense. Sorry. I hope yeah, it does. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, and you know, Stephen, I wanted to get you in on this as well. Yeah, particularly, you know, just kind of having listened to that. I know, I know we talked about this a little bit offline, but if you could just, you know, your thoughts on listening to that Quarles interview and what it made you think, how it how it changed the way you view maybe uh, Barr's incoming uh responsibilities and like what he's going to be tackling and, and those how he'll do it yeah i don't know i mean it definitely drove home that issue of you know he definitely drove home the uncertainty of the sort of almost statutory uncertainty of what the vcs role really is um so hearing that from him you know obviously carries a lot of weight that that you know it, it, it's really unclear what falls under his purview what falls under that role's purview in general um, and sort of, sort of the relative uh, institutional discretion. I think going forward, you know, you, you can imagine, like like for instance, now with we we there's no the financial the supervision committee basically like sort of doesn't exist. I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, like Lil kind of fell off it. So you can imagine if if say Mickey Bowman's committee sort of sort of dissipated in the same way, maybe that. You know, does that provide an opportunity for it to be absorbed into the VCS role? Like, right. you know, so it, it, that that flexibility is there on a go forward basis. So that will be interesting to watch. Um, obviously, I mean, the, the to me, the headline from his interview was his uh, was more on monetary policy and the direct contrast he took with with Powell and basically saying that that Biden kind of kind of uh, being pokey with nominations sort of delayed their they're tightening the monetary policy, which, um, you know, obviously was interesting. It's a direct contrast to what Paul said. Kate, I don't know if you know if there's any validity to that. Uh, that that would surprise me, but, uh, and, you know, it kind of got framed as a failure of Biden to nominate folks. But to me, that's a failure of the Fed if they're sitting around waiting to see who gets rehired before they make monetary policy. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be it's supposedly so independent. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. I mean, I think I think if um, 
I think it's really interesting if Quarles is saying it right. I mean, yeah. he clearly has insight into how the place works and how people think about this. Um, you know, there's there's there was plenty of speculation. I heard a number of times, oh, you know, Powell's just waiting to get renominated. I mean, I, I don't think that it really don't think it is that um it is that simple or you know quite frankly mm -hmm. nefarious uh, I don't mm -hmm. I really right. don't think that that is how they make decisions um but I do think that it was awkward right yeah. I do think, I do think the whole situation was weird yeah. and how does that kind of you know do, does that kind of seep into people's thinking I think it's really hard to know I think the fact that Randy Quarles thinks it does is uh is really interesting um I don't have you know any special insight but but I think we yeah, I think I think it I think it's not great that they waited so long. There's probably a lot of reasons why it wasn't great that they uh, that they waited. I mean, most um, you know, most most nominations in recent memory were you know a few months earlier. They had they had kind of the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. They had you know there is a lot there's a lot of a lot going on. They should be able to you know to multitask clearly. But um, but if we think back to that time period. It was a bit. It was a bit tumultuous, and so right. It probably would have been better if uh, if it had been done earlier. And I, I think it's just really hard for us to know how things would be different. Yeah, I was kind of hoping somebody would ask again yesterday. I mean, like I said, it, Paul was already asked about this before Quarles said anything. But it would have been nice to. I wonder how you know. I'm sure he was prepared to talk talk to it a little more yesterday at the conf at the press conference if it came up. Yeah, and he kind of slid it into that last, a little bit into that last. He did do a little bit of a walkthrough of the, of last fall there on that on that mm -hmm. last question. I, yeah, I wonder if that was that was part of that was part of his prepared response. He didn't have to give it all, obviously, because he wasn't asked directly. But I wonder if he was that was part mm -hmm. of what he was prepared to say. I think it's like you know thinking about just politics in the Fed too, because you know the, the nominations process is really one of the one of the only ways theoretically right that the, that the uh, white house has influence over monetary policy um in this kind of present you know world like several yeah. recent decade precedent where we don't talk about monetary policy of course trump broke from that so we kind of got a view of like what does it look like when you have a president really job owning and yeah. um and so Right. I think a lot of us who follow this would think there's just no way that that's going to work. You know, it, it's he's not going, they're not going to feel obligated. Well, geez, you know, President Trump thinks we ought to do this. We, we better do this. Clearly, no, that's not at all how the Fed thinks about this. They are independent. At the same time, he puts them in an awkward spot or he, yep. he put them in an awkward spot then, you know, when uh, he was railing at them to, to lower rates. Well, then ultimately, we might've been approaching a place where we should, but then does it, they have to think, does it look like we're listening to him? I mean, it, it just, it, it just complicates things. And so I don't know if that's a helpful parallel for thinking yeah. about last fall when, yeah. um, right. They maybe needed to be making these decisions, but you didn't have a, it wasn't clear whether we was going to renominate Powell. It wasn't clear when it might happen. I think it just kind of adds a layer of, um, of awkwardness, if you will. Mm -hmm. Does it, does it, actively change their discussions no I really don't think so mm -hmm. but it's kind of lingering there and everyone sort of knows that it. it's like an elephant in the room yeah particularly when the when the 
when it's not just whether or not Powell get it, but it's whether Powell or Brainerd will get it when the when well, the other right. person is in the room at the same time. Gosh, I'd almost forgot that that was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So, right. Some some awkward some awkward hallway conversation. I'm sure it wasn't. They've worked together for a long time, so I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, but um, anyway, right. It's yeah. it's that feels like a lifetime ago, though, huh? It does it does Last it fall. is it was. <laughs> So the next couple of weeks, we have we have things to be looking out for, potentially even a hearing on bar, even within, you know, days. Um, are there any other thoughts? I wanted to kind of leave that open ended at the before we, before I close it out. Any other thoughts in either in the bar world or in the Fed world that, that you think either we haven't covered or that isn't getting as much attention as it should? Um, let me see. No, I just, I do think it will be really interesting to see what this new um, uh, slate of, of nominees, but in particular, like Phil Jefferson and Lisa Cook, yeah. kind of what they bring to, to the board. Um, I'm really curious to hear from them. Um, you know, Lisa in particular is someone who's very active, like on Twitter, um, Michigan State yeah. professor, like kind of well-known. And when you get nominated or even when you start getting rumored to be nominated, you have to go quiet a little bit. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious what she thinks about, um, you know, what's happening right now. And, um, and I think, you know, the, but one thing we really haven't heard a lot about, you know, the Biden administration talked so much, well, the president, um, you know, then candidate on the campaign trail. And then in the early days of the administration talked about just racial equity and yeah. kind of addressing racial disparity. And especially in the economy, we all know these are huge issues. And we really kind of haven't heard that much about those issues from yeah. the financial regulators at all, or from like say treasury um, and how they're going to think about those issues and ad addressing those issues. Um, and I and I I have to assume that that's something that Lisa Cook will will have thoughts on and will weigh in on. And I'm you know, I'm just I'm really curious to hear what their issues are going to be. Right, every governor kind of kind of has their thing that they're interested in. So same with um, same with Philip Jefferson. Just how does he start to kind of make his mark? I'm, I'm eager to hear from hear from those people, see them get in there. So I think that'll be interesting over the summer. Yeah, it absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say even even if. You know, we were kind of saying monetary policy won't be interesting for a while. It's funny, we were, we were having the same conversation. We were talking about, uh, you know, the VCS role a year ago, Caleb, just to take it back to the beginning. We were saying a year ago, monetary policy is going to be boring for a while because we were thinking rates were going to be at zero forever. It's funny. We're now thinking that they're going to be hiking forever. Yeah. Um, but but monetary policy is going to be boring for a while. But the speeches can start, you know, semi, you know, they, they, they'll take a little time. But the, the, the first speeches from Jefferson and Cook and and uh, Susan Collins, uh, you know, th those will all be, those will be interesting to watch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun to have some new, just some new characters uh, in this, in this play, this endless play yes. that we're all watching. Yeah, which we are, we are all watching mostly via, uh, via your, uh, via your morning uh, money <laughs> newsletter. So, uh, well, thank you. If you have ideas, you know, I'm always open to, uh, you know, what we should be thinking about. You guys aren't shy about sharing them, but keep sharing them. <laughs> audience them. audience keep sharing them uh, as well uh um i also will include directly if by happen chance you are uh not subscribed already i'll include a link in the in the show notes to get you directly to there um kate is at kate davidson on twitter uh kate thanks so much for coming on thank you guys this was really fun yeah and steven uh thank you to you as well of course steven is at Stephen Kelly 49. Again, Kate is at Kate Davidson and I'm at Caleb Nygaard. Until next time, thanks for listening.